I'm going to talk today um, about the new self, as uh, the Apostle Paul says. There's a lot of talk around the beginning of the new year all about um, how to become a better you. And I want to talk about what Scripture says about this concept of the new self, because I think the biblical idea is different than the cultural idea. I do want to warn you, I might step on your toes today. Please forgive me. <laughs> but I just want you to know that when we have to preach a word that we know we're going to step on toes, probably we're stepping on our own toes as well. So um, that's already happened uh, as I've prepared this message. So uh, we're going to talk about the new self and we're going to base it out of Colossians. Now, maps, I love maps. I love uh, ancient biblical maps. Um, this is uh, obviously where Colossae is. This is where Paul addressed the letter of the Colossians because they were called Colossians because they lived in Colossae. Go figure. Uh, Paul did not ever visit there. It doesn't appear. Um, the church was planted uh, by a man who Paul met named Epaphras. And uh, he, he met him in Ephesus and he went back and planted this church. Paul wrote this letter to them Years after the church had been going on, he wrote it to the church. He wrote it to Christians. Now, most of them were not Jewish Christians. Most of them were Gentiles, um, Christians just like us. And he wrote it to talk about the centrality of Christ because he had a real concern. And I'll get to that in just a second. So uh, we're going to pick up what he talks about here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He says, don't get captivated, don't get captured by these specific things, philosophy uh, an empty deceit according to human traditions. Make sure that your philosophy, make sure that your cultural practices are rooted in Christ, not in your surroundings. Now, obviously, we have different surroundings than they have in ancient Colossae. But uh, uh, just like in any other place, this is a, a, a very good message for us to, to hear because no matter where you are, there's going to be things about your culture that are beautiful, yes. There's also going to be things about your culture that are opposite of the gospel. And if we're not careful to identify those things, it's not like we're going to isolate ourselves away from the culture. That's not what we're called to do. That's certainly not what Jesus did. We're to engage. However, we need to be, have our eyes open to be aware of what is opposite of the gospel, to say, you know what, I reject that thing. I love my people, I love my nation, but I reject this idea. That's what we're going to talk about. In Colossae, here was their idea. It's different than ours. Here's what it was. It's called asceticism. Now, that's basically uh, the doctrine that a person can attain a high spiritual and moral state by practicing self-denial, self-mortification, and the like. Uh, here was the basic idea. Pain equals salvation. How would you like to be a part of this? Uh, it's actually sort of, you can trace asceticism through probably pretty much any religion that's ever been um, and see how uh, uh, people have taken you know, ideas that maybe weren't that harmful and then injected this into it and then it got dark. Um, and it makes, it, or if it's already dark, it makes it darker. You can see this through the history of the Christian church as well. All you need to do is look at the life of Martin Luther early on to see uh, things like this. So, um, asceticism was unchristian. Now, why was it unchristian? Not just because uh, God doesn't want us to, 
you know, whip ourselves or crawl around, you know, a whole bunch of stairs on our knees until they're bleeding. Those things are naturally bad. He created the body. The body's a good thing. Um, Asceticism is a bad thing. But it wasn't just that. It was the fact that it was completely according to traditions of men. It was completely according to the philosophy of the day. And it was in no way rooted in Jesus Christ. Therefore, a Christian who is supposed to be rooted in Jesus Christ should not embrace it. Does that, is that good logic? We don't put something at the center of our uh, understanding if it is opposite of Christ, if, if Christ is, if it's not according to Christ, as Paul says, okay? So that is their day, okay, but what about today? Let me ask you this, rhetorical question, because if you start yelling out answers, I'm gonna have to like quiet you. So rhetorically, what's the cultural, uh, well, let me say it this way. What is the predominant philosophy in Western culture today? I would say it's basically this. Self-actualization equals salvation. Find yourself. Believe in you. Become the best version of yourself. Enhance your self-esteem. Find the best version of yourself. Are you noticing a pattern here? The pattern is self, because that's what we love more than anything in the West itself. And we found all kinds of ways to build our own digital monuments to self. And I believe that if the Apostle Paul were writing a letter to the church in America, this would be his primary target. This kind of humanism that is not according to Christ, it's according to the philosophies of men and the culture of the day. I read this this week in the American Gospel. Self-doubt is a sin. Excellence is a fruit of the Spirit. Genius is our saints. Self-actualization is salvation. <laughs> now, um, I think that is a very true quote. It's a very sad quote. Self-doubt is sin. How many times do you see this come up in the modern movies? You know, Your problem is you just don't believe in yourself enough. You're doubting you. That's your problem. You gotta get, you gotta, you know, all of these things. This is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Now, um, I, I, I wanna be, I wanna be clear here. Your individuality, your strengths, your unique, and we just did this class called Kingdom Identity in the fall, and we actually talked a lot about our individuality and our strengths. In fact, we even took a test called the Strengths Finders Test to understand the unique way that the Lord's designed us. So we don't think that that's a bad thing. I actually think it's a beautiful thing, and it's totally worth investing, and it's totally worth celebrating. But the thing is, if you don't have a context for who you are that's bigger than you, then that's idolatry. So that's where we find ourselves as a culture today. We want to find ourselves for the purpose of finding ourselves. Do you see the difference? It has to come in the context of the kingdom of God, and particularly it must be rooted in Jesus Christ himself. Otherwise, we're the center of our own little world, and that's a problem. That's a real, if you find yourself in the center of your own world, that's a problem. Worship of self. Look, when I look at the beginning of the new year, there are things that I, that, that I think about that I want to do better. Are you guys with me? You're like, I want to do better in this, right? I want to do better. Uh, and I do. There's all kinds of things I want to improve at. There's, I look and I make resolutions and I'm like, man, I want to get into shape. 
because I used to be in shape, but it seemed like a long time ago. I want to get in shape. I want to write more. I want to do more creative projects. I want to do this and this and this. And, and, and those are okay to have. In fact, it's really good to set those kinds of goals. But for what end? For what end? If there's no context for it, if we're not setting goals in order to bring his kingdom or to invite him more into our life and become more like him, then we've become just like the culture. This is why I feel we must point this out and we must see the culture worships self. We as believers cannot fall prey to that mistake. Here's what the Apostle Paul, I think, would say to me. He would say, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, okay, me, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things here on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Things above, not below. G.K. Chesterton Uh, more than 100 years ago, wrote this in his fantastic little book called Orthodoxy. Let me set the scene here. He's walking with his friend, a publisher, and the publisher is talking about uh, somebody else, and he goes, well, that's a man that's going places because he really believes in himself. And Mr. Chesterton stops, and he thinks, and he shakes his head, and then he gives this response. I highly recommend this book for those who are interested. If you consult your business experience instead of your ugly individualistic philosophy, you would know that believing in himself is one of the commonest signs of a rotter. It's a great insult, by the way. Friendly insult. You, sir, are a rotter. It's great. Actors who can't act believe in themselves and debtors who won't pay. It would be much truer to say that a man will certainly fail because he believes in himself. Complete self-confidence is not merely a sin. Complete self-confidence is a weakness. Believing utterly in oneself is a hysterical and superstitious belief. He goes on. Later on, he's talking about the results of someone who believes in his own sufficiency above all things and how it leads to ruin. Here's what he says. Now, follow me. This is good stuff. This horrible fancy has in it something decidedly attractive to the somewhat mystical egoism of our day. And our day, right? The publisher who thought that men would get on if they believed in themselves, those seekers after the Superman who are always looking for him in the looking glass. Oof. Those writers who talk about impressing their personalities instead of creating life for the world. All these people have really only an inch between themselves and this awful emptiness. Then when this kindly world all around the man has been blackened out like a lie, when his friends fade into ghosts and the foundations of the world fail, then when the man believing in nothing and in no man is alone in his own nightmare, then the great individualistic motto shall be written over him in avenging irony. The stars will be only dots in the blackness of his own brain. His mother's face will be only a sketch from his own insane pencil on the walls of his cell, but over his cell shall be written with dreadful truth, he believes in himself. He wrote that over 100 years ago. And I think he wrote it for today. The man who believes in himself first and foremost will taste the emptiness of his own, his own inadequacy. The worst thing we can do in the church is to say, you are good enough. You're not. You're not adequate, guys. You're not. 
You're incredibly valuable. You are sons and daughters of the king, but you are not adequate to face this world and overcome the world. You're just not. We need Christ. That's the gospel. The gospel is we're all broken, man. And we need him. That's the gospel. We gotta fight against this. We gotta see this in our culture and say, wait a minute, that's not true. And that has no place in the body of Christ. You're not called to believe in yourself. You're called to believe in him. So therefore, Paul says this, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, uh, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. But this is part of my true self, man. I'm just angry and I'm edgy and sometimes I just don't like it. Well, you know what? Put them away. That's not supposed to be part of you anymore. That's not supposed to be part of any of us anymore. Put them away, he says. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its practices and have put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between, between, between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free men, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen by God, that's us, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. So also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, through God the Father. The Christian life is not about being unique and authentic. It's about imitating Christ. Of all the ideas that are offensive to the modern American mindset, it's that. The Christian life is not about being authentic, it's about imitating Jesus. See, we think imitation is the worst thing ever. But this is what we're called to again and again in the New Testament, to imitate him. Now, I've said this before, and we'll say it again. We believe in authenticity here in this house. And, and in fact, we, we talk about it a lot, and we really try to demonstrate it. Because I think being fake, I grew up around so much fakeness in the Bible Belt, guys. Everyone just had their own programmed responses to everything. Their lives would be a total mess, imploding inside. But everything is, I'm doing fine, I'm doing fine, I'm doing fine. No, no you're not. Authenticity is being willing to be known for who you really are. That, so that in itself, if it's leading to something else, is a good thing, but it can't be an end, you see? It's a good thing in the church because unless we admit where we actually are, we can't get healed of those things. We can't move on. And as so many of us, I think, have tried to do that with God. Like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Not even like telling him how we really feel in our prayers. Haven't we ever read the Psalms? David told God where he really was and he told others where he really was. Authenticity is a means to healing. It's a means to, to, to being honest so that we can get over those hurdles, get over those, the, those blockages, whatever those are, and we do that in a body. Authenticity cannot be for its own good. 
But the culture says this is it. It's all about being your real self, man. Self-actualization. You'll find your own sort of salvation and just being who you are and celebrating it. And the Apostle Paul says, no, uh-uh, not true. Christian life is about imitating Jesus. But that's so fake. No, it's not. Put on the new self. Put on the new self. Now, I want to say this, too. Don't worry about your uniqueness. It's easy to get caught up in that. Think, well, you're saying that these things don't matter. No, I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm saying don't obsess over them. I, I, I don't know if this is true in your life, but this is really true in my life. The weirdest people I know are the most godly. Some of you guys in this room, I would put in this category. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how when, when Jesus gets a hold of a person, the beautiful deposits that he put in their personality actually shine brighter? Have you noticed that? Be, and and, and you, you'd be different. You'd be totally different. Completely, totally different people. I'll give you just two people in this. Doug Easterday, incredibly wonderful, godly man. Jeff Starr, incredibly, wonderfully godly man. Are they anything alike? No. No, they're not. They're not remotely alike. They're totally different. Have you ever met another Doug Easterday? Have you ever met another Jeff Starr? Guarantee you haven't. Do you see what happens as God puts beautiful things in us and when the Holy Spirit comes in, a light comes on inside and it shines brighter? Now look at the opposite. The people who, who all, you can tell, I remember uh, even growing up, you could always tell the people who wanted to shine their own uniqueness the most. You know how you could tell? They all looked alike. <laughs> it's true. You think about it era by era. So when I was in high school in the 90s, the ones who were really, really different, <laughs> and this was me for a while too, were the ones who had the long hair. I used to have long hair. My wife would have hated me if she had known me back then. I used to have long hair that I'd part right in the middle and it'd come down over my eyes and I would wear flannel. Uh, I, I love flannels today, but it's just because I like them. It's not because I... Anyway, so, and you'd walk around, you know. People would walk around their copies of Edgar Allan Poe and the latest Nirvana CD, you know, and be like, I'm so different and moody. This is just the way I am. And they're like, well, you look exactly like everyone you're eating lunch with right now. <laughs> and you can see this in every era. And the, the 80s is the funniest because that's when, you know, people discovered like this neon hair dye and all this stuff. Like the hot pink. Like, We're so different. I'm so unique. I'm so pierced in a hundred ways like all your friends over here. And it actually makes me sad. It's like you want so badly to be noticed. You want so badly to have an identity and you're seeking it by trying so hard to push these extreme things just like everybody else. So you wind up completely self-sabotaging what you really want. What you really want is to be known and be loved. Well, you don't actually have to perform for those things. You're already really known and really, really loved. Isn't that good news? What I'm telling you is you don't have to perform. So, don't worry. Don't worry. You're not going to become homogenous. You're not going to look like the next person. The more Christ fills you, the more vibrant and bold you're going to become anyway. Don't even worry about those things. Just keep your eyes on him. And that's where you really begin to shine. Put on the new self, as Paul says. The new self is not the best version of you. 
Rather, it is a life which insists on the centrality of Jesus Christ in everything. It's not a new version. It's not the best version of yourself. It's a life which insists on the centrality of Jesus Christ in everything. Paul just gave us these two lists. The old self. We just read it through it. Immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. So many of these things are just so common and just get chalked up to personality nowadays. Have you noticed this? Oh, I see so much of it online, guys. It's so sad. They're like, well, you should know better than to talk to me that way because this is what's going to happen if you do. This is the way God made me. What are you talking about? He says, put on the new self. That's the old self. Here's the new self. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Forgiveness. Put on love. Give thanks. Here's what Paul says the new self looks like. Do you know why it's like those things? Because that's what Jesus is like. And when Jesus shines inside of you, you become new. You become different. You become new. The new self is about becoming like Christ. The old self is about getting. The new self is about giving out. The old self is about consuming. The new self is about creating. The old self is about turning your individuality up to 11. The new self is all about becoming like Jesus. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so he can increase. And I think that is a good mindset even for us today. We step back so we can have more of him. He needs to shine. I need to just retreat a little bit and let him shine on and in me. That's the new self. So how do we put on the new self? How do we do it? Well, not by ourselves. And here's the other place I'm going to step on some toes. Some of you guys think you can do this on yourselves, by yourselves, and you can't. Can't. I was talking in a YWAM school about a year ago. I was talking about the need to have one another in our lives and be real with each other and have friends to speak into our life. And she looked angry. She had a very stone face. She raised her hand and she said, why? I said, why what? Why do we need other people in our lives? Why can't it just be me and Jesus? I said, because you're not strong enough. She didn't talk to me the rest of that week. <laughs> but it was the truth. You're not strong enough, guys. You're, you're not. You're not, I, see, here's the thing. Many of us, how many of you guys are saying, listen, you don't need to convince me that immorality, impurity, greed, all these things are wrong. I know that, and I want to become more like Jesus. But I keep getting hung up. But I can do this. I can do this. And the year comes around. I can do this. I can do better at this. I can, I can push through. I'm not going to gossip anymore. I'm going to stop looking at porn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And I'm going to, I can do this. I can do this. Two weeks later, I can't do this. Okay. You can't do this. You were not ever intended to try to live the Christian life on your own. 
And if you're trying, I would suggest to you that it might be because we live in a culture that is saturated by self-reliance. And everyone tells you, you can do, no, there's a beautiful part of self-reliance. Don't get me wrong. This is never intended for the Christian life, sorry. Maybe intended for working hard at your job and things like that. Not intended for the Christian life. You're not supposed to try to do it by yourself. In fact, if you're already there, you already have a pride issue. Sorry, toes. You're not intended to try to do it on your own. Now, here's what Jesus said. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And we see this throughout the scriptures. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. If you need healing, let him call for the elders and ask for healing. If you need grace, Lord, help my unbelief. You see, he's opened up his arms and he's saying, I am here for you. I am here to love you. I'm here to be with you and to walk through life together. How tragic is it when we go, no, it's okay, I'm good. Do you want to put on the new self this year? Ask. But don't just ask him. Please ask him. But invite other people into those dark places. This is the hardest part, the vulnerability part. There's a way that a plant grows that we know it it needs water and it needs sunlight. I don't think we're so much different. We need the washing of the water of the word and we need the light of truth to shine in our hearts. We need to walk in the light. We need to learn to embrace and love the light to be known for who we really are, to be known for the, 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 the darker part of our hearts and to be able to say to somebody, would you please look at this? This is messed up and I need help. To be able to invite someone in there and I know, I know it's hard. Vulnerability is difficult. But guys, that's, that's why we're a family. We're a family because one person can't do it by themselves. None of us can do it by ourselves. So here we are. We got a whole bunch of people in this body. And I think all of us who have Christ as our Lord hopefully can push aside the self-actualization stuff. All of us want to be closer to Jesus. All of us want to be more like Jesus. How do we get there? What do we do? The first thing is open up your heart to truly be vulnerable. And what I'm asking you is this, to take some ownership in your own discipleship process. To be able to see it. Because, you see, we we can't see all these. There's too many people. (laughs) I can't know what's going on. Pastor Joshua can't know what's going on. Pastor Jeff and Janelle, we, we can't know everything that's going on in your hearts. So in order for us to be able to speak it or, or, fam, or other brothers and sisters, you have to be pastoral step, in order for anyone to be able to speak in, the only way they can do that is if you're honest about what's actually happening. I'll never forget being working in YWAM Tyler's staff for years and there was a wonderful young couple, newly married, that were on our teaching staff and boy, we just loved them. And they'd been married about six months when suddenly we get a call, it was like, oh, she just left and they're splitting up. And I was floored. I could not believe it. And I was one of the leaders there. And I realized, okay, I really wish we would have had better insight. I really wish we could have like, taken better oversight of them, been close to them, figure out what was going on. 
But then my heart broke too because I thought, how in the world could we even know unless they were honest about what was happening? We're struggling as a couple. And I just was heartbroken that they never said and their marriage didn't make it. How often does that happen in the church? There are all different kinds of scenarios. Somebody's hurting and bleeding inside, but they're too ashamed to be able to say what's really happening. The Lord wants to help you in this process. He wants to speak in and touch those wounded places. Open yourself to him and open yourself up to someone else in the body of Christ to really speak in. I believe the Lord wants to bring freedom this year, guys. I really do. This isn't a year to become a better you. This is a year to become more like Christ. And that is a good thing to aspire to to become more like Jesus this year. You, you, you probably, as, you, as we read over this, you're thinking about certain things and they're jumping off, they're jumping off the screen as I'm reading them. Because in your heart, it's like, it's almost like a little shock. You're like, ooh, uh, <laughs> lost. Oh, greed. All right, all right. I'm not so much with abusive speech, but then I go over here and uh, humility. Okay, all right, I know that's not a good one because I don't have that one yet either. You can feel these things, I can't. All those things, you know what? That's your conscience. That's okay. That's okay that's jumping out. Don't rebuke that. That's not the devil probably unless he's kicking you for it. Your heart knows and your conscience goes and it goes, hey, we need to work on this thing. It's like your gas light coming on. If, if your low gas light comes on, don't rebuke it. That's not the devil. That's actually, it's actually a really good thing. Some of you guys have like a check engine light or a gas light coming on your heart. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. What is it in your heart? You know those places. My, my plea to you this morning is this. Jesus Christ came so that you could be healed. He came so that he could, you could be made whole. And he's offering that. He offers that every day. Remember, his mercies are new every morning. No matter where it is that you've fallen, no matter what hang-ups, no matter what loops you feel like you've been on, his mercies are new every morning. And part of his mercy isn't just forgiveness. It's the grace that he's given, the grace that he's offering through his other children. This is a year for freedom in this house. Do you receive that? Let's stand together. Lord, I pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, come. I pray that you would highlight these things on hearts right now. Just give them a second. Just ask him, Lord, what do you want to say to me? Because he does speak in times like this. And I give you a minute here now to silently respond to the Lord. Remember, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. His mercies are new every morning 
Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us boldness to do the things you've called us to do. I pray that you give us boldness to obey the promptings of your Holy Spirit, whatever those things are. Give us boldness. Lord, I pray you'd give us all humility. Lord, we need more humility in our lives. We need more of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to heed your promptings. We have resources in this church, guys, that are available too. We have a prayer servant team. In fact, prayer servant team, why don't you guys just come on up. Every time after the service, we have a prayer servant team that would love to pray with you guys. Of course, we're here as a pastoral staff. We're here. We also have a sozo ministry. If you need healing in some of these deeper places in your hearts that you've been, uh, you know, have trouble with, especially if you have trouble with for a, a, a long, whatever those things are, come. Maybe schedule a time with the sozo ministry team. But what I'm telling you is this. We are family. We're family. So let's become more like Christ together. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for making us family. We pray, Lord, we pray that you continue to pursue us like you have. We thank you for not giving up on us. Help us now, Lord, to put aside the old things and put you on. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Have a blessed week.